and welcome to Gender Sexuality School. I'm Tara Goldstein and we're podcasting from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Last month, Kate Reed joined us to talk about the song she wrote for our verbatim theatre piece, Out at School. Today on Gender Sexuality School, LGBTQ Families Speak Out team member Benjamin Lee Hicks is here to talk about the visual images they composed for the play. Out at School is a script of verbatim monologues that the research team has created from video interviews we collected in the LGBTQ Families Speak Out study. The term verbatim refers to the origins of the word spoken in the monologues. In a verbatim monologue, the words of people who are interviewed are transcribed, edited, arranged, and recontextualized so they can be performed on stage by actors. Out at School is a work in progress. It currently consists of a script that contains 11 verbatim monologues based on interviews with different families, a set of visual images that accompany each monologue, drawn by Benjamin, and two songs, Pushing the Envelope and Let Love Be the Way, both composed by Kate Reed. Benjamin, welcome to Gender Sexuality School. Thank you. So to begin our uh, interview, Benjamin, can you tell us about your process of creating the visual images for each of the monologues in the Out at School play script? Sure. Um, So I think that in this work, in a way that is different, perhaps, than some of the other ways that I make and use art and images in other parts of my life or even in other parts of my academic work, the process really begins with a lot of thought about theory and method and um, sort of not just how I will technically create it but why I'm creating it right um, yeah and so eventually I kind of it kind of I think about it so that it can sit in conversations with other aspects of our art space research and other mediums that members of our team use and I think about how all of those will come together and and also how they'll continue to shift and change as we experience their use with an audience and over time. So I thought a lot about the development of the images um, and sort of like how that sits in relation to the idea of verbatim and how we use that term in our written and performative work. So maybe I'll start with that part of my cognitive process sure. <laughs> rather than technical things. Um, so the illustrations that I make in response to the stories shared in the monologues are aren't and can't really be a visual equivalent for verbatim representation. Um, Kind of the nature of non-photographic imagery disallows that possibility um, uh, for any kind of visual verbatim, even even if it was my inclination to try and sort of make that happen. Uh, Instead, I think that the visual images, I think of them kind of as a combination of both process and product. Uh, They're a blend of my own interpretation um, and positionality in relation to the story being told. And they're also kind of an illustrative account of that character's tellings um, more directly. So, for example, my own experience as a genderqueer trans person as an educator are necessarily part of how I make sense of their stories. um, And that becomes visible when I draw. I guess something to mention is that like that kind of blatant and tangible visibility is not 
very conventional in academic work, but it is very queer. Right. That's how I think about it. It's it's, um, and part of that for me is it's defiantly emotional. Right. Um, so there's emotion yeah. um, visible in lots of your images. Yeah, I mean, I hope it's visible. Um, I assume it's visible. It's it's present in the process. Right. So. Um, yeah, I, I guess I, I act on faith as an artist in that, like, if I if I am putting something into it, then that is being picked up in some way, at least by some people. So right. I, so I'm conscious of that kind of energy going in. Um, and so it continues to be my hope that adding the visual images to the verbal stories that we tell through the monologues can, in some way, in that energy, like, invite the audience to consider not just what they think, but also why they think that, why they feel those things, um, and maybe even question aspects of their own positionality that would that are co-creating or helping to maintain those beliefs. Right, yeah. right, right. Wonderful. So you've been working as a research assistant on the LGBTQ families team, and we've been doing some conventional thematic analysis. We've done some arts-based analysis by putting together um, monologues from the actual uh, interviews. But how is the process of creating images, how does that um, affect your understanding of what the families were telling the team? Um. First of all, just I, I guess one of the things I always like to say is like I have one of the best research jobs <laughs> in the world, probably. I mean, perfectly suited for my needs, anyways. But in that, I get to like draw pictures to code things in, in certain ways. Like I, I get to respond to data through drawing, which is one of my favorite things. So, um, but I, um, in terms of your question, I think it's actually a very multi-layered question. Okay. Yeah, I think like I can only really answer through. Uh, through a lens of um, like the idea of reciprocal acknowledgement, meaning like as a visual artist um, using art and research, I need always to acknowledge that my, you know, like I was saying, like my own emotions and stories and experiences are always affecting how I understand the stories that I see and hear. Um, and the retelling that I'm doing, um, I'm, really, I'm really feeling it on a visceral level and that and so, like, whatever I put out becomes a mix of how I understand their stories. And then, um, like, there's an aesthetic that comes from my own experiences. So the way that I draw um, has has been taught to me through everything that I've experienced. That right. comes, that's what comes out on paper. That's what makes what, the way one person draws different from somebody the way somebody else draws. So that's always there, right? And I don't think this... I actually don't think that phenomenon is very different than any other way we as humans kind of take each other in and relate back to each other. We're always like responding to somebody partially through our own filter. Right. 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 Absolutely. Um, but I think it's definitely more immediate and obvious in a visual context, or maybe I just like, I've just come to be used to acknowledging more. Um, so some, do you want some examples from yeah, the, that'd from be the great. images? That'd okay. be great. I've, I was thinking particularly about two of them. One of them I, I end up talking about a lot because it was one of the first ones that I that I really connected with as a member of the team. Um, so um, there's a, a piece, a monologue called Outing My Kids where Carlene describes a piece of her story and she talks about how she felt badly when sort of the affective response of other students and parents on the schoolyard 
um, to what they perceived as her, um, in air quotes, boy-girl gender expression, preempted her children's ability to decide for themselves whether or not they would talk about their LGBTQ family while at school. And for me, there was there was an emotional truth in the set of assumptions that were described in there um, that I connected to very deeply from my own experience as a as a I guess again in air quotes visibly genderqueer elementary school teacher people right. generally read me as genderqueer um, which is accurate <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's you know it's based on a social um, expectation right um, and so it's not something that I think that I can describe very well in words even if I felt inclined to do so but um, so the opportunity to contribute visual emotive layers to a verbal story about that um, has been a privilege that I've that I'm thankful for as both an artist and a queer person because it's allowed me to reflect on the fact that um, I mean it can be extremely painful to maintain awareness of the ways that other people focus on who they think you are um, and especially in that context when all you really want to do is sort of like be connecting with children and right. so I wanted in that image to focus on um, I wanted to show somehow a like meaningful relationship building right. between adults and kids, and um, so I, to me that image shows that like the love and the care in the adult-child relationship um, is is like a conversation about identity and freedom and moving in and out of boxes, and and that in the bubble, the sort of like um, what would traditionally be speech bubbles in that image are filled with these kind of explosive images. And so there's a sort of a nod to the idea that like we speak through emotion regardless right. of who we are, you know, that yes. I guess very generally the idea that love is love. Right. Um, and that's not something that, that needs always to be described. And when people can connect uh, to an image that they recognize, I think that that can do some of the same work or deeper work. Yeah. Um, I have a little bit of a different example. Of sure, a different, let's different hear one. a different one. Yeah, because um, they're all like they've all developed in slightly different ways. Right. So this this second example is 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 quite a different process, I guess. Okay. Um, so um, this one, so I can refer to the image that I created for scene four and out of school, which is uh, they wrapped her in the flag. Right. And I think that this one, I wanted to talk about this one because I think it's perhaps the closest to direct representation or like the closest to the idea of verbatim, I guess, of any yes. image that I created. Um, in that, like, sort of in order to draw the main figure, I asked, um, I'll use the pseudonyms, Violet's um, mom May to send me a photo of Violet so I could uh, refer to that directly in order to sort of better capture her spirit and her right. essence on the day at Queen's Park yes. with the flag raising that they were talking about in the monologue. And and this component felt particularly important to me because their story is so much about Violet showing up and being physically present and counted and proud and seen for the self that she knows herself to be kind of for the first, well, really for the first time in a very public setting. So before I went ahead and, and used... Um, 
this image that I drew, and before we used it in any public performances or, or publications, I asked Violet to approve the drawing. She was seven at the time, and um, just as we would with text right. and monologues, right, um, regardless of the person's age. And um, in this case in particular, I really wanted there to be as much of Violet's experience and personality coming through in a very direct way as possible, so I wanted to try and mitigate Although it can't eliminate it, I wanted to try and mitigate some of what I might project onto that situation. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, as you uh, think about uh, the, um, the project, coming to a performance at uh, Pride this coming summer in uh, 2019, we're going to ask you to um, perhaps do some new images because mm -hmm. I think we want to add a few monologues and make sure that we have a wide variety of experiences um, performed. Uh, do you th imagine doing the same kinds of things or do you imagine your process going to be a little bit different? That's a good question. Um, yeah, I, I'm excited. I'm, I'm looking forward to doing some new images for the for the new monologues and also for Kate's songs as well. Yes, because we have one more song for Kate. Yeah. Yeah, and I haven't done one for the first one yet, really. That's either. right. Yeah, we've just been kind of using some some stand-in pieces <laughs> for the time being. So I'm excited about that. But um, in terms of, well, I guess for those as well, I mean, all of the new monologues and Kate's songs have developed while I've been on the team. That's right. Yeah, so I think, you know, although I was, I was quite familiar with um, the monologues and um, especially some of the people, like, actually it's interesting, the two that I chose to talk about, Carleen's and um, the Adley families, I knew those people the best probably Yes. Uh, when I was creating the work, so maybe it's a bit more personal, but I feel like this one, these ones... I probably, I don't know, I'll, I'll probably have more specific things to say about it once I've done it, because yes. I don't always know what's going to happen for me <laughs> visually, right. but I can only imagine that um, that there's another layer in there of, um, not it's not just me bringing my life experience to something that I've encountered or someone that I've met once or twice, um, it's, you know, those things plus another dimensionality right. of our experience like our physical experience together and another one of all of the times that we've used it in our teaching together That's and right. people's responses to it so yeah it'll be interesting to see what comes out I think it'll be similar process in the way that I do all of my work which is just like I act a lot on um trusting my gut right <laughs> when it comes to like what feels um authentic, valid, I guess, valid to me in, in what I'm creating. Um, but uh, other than that, I think, I think there's, there, there will be, there will be a different process and I can't really say what it is right now. So we should do part two. I guess. We'll do part two <laughs> after our pride yeah, uh, performance. Yeah. Yeah. We should have a follow up for, for everyone, little debrief sessions after or something. Like I think that. that'd be great. Yeah. I think that'd be great. Benjamin, thanks so much for joining us. I really loved hearing about you speak the ways that you created visuals for our play out at school. And I'm looking forward to our next conversation. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's great. Benjamin Lee Hicks is a visual artist, elementary school teacher, and PhD candidate in curriculum teaching and learning at the Ontario Institute for Studies and Education at the University of Toronto. They taught JK to grade six classrooms in the Toronto District School Board for eight years 
prior to beginning graduate studies full-time. Benjamin has written and designed curriculum materials on topics of sustainable community building, queering school space, and arts-based activism. They are interested in how we might better support teachers to expect queerness and welcome all gender identities in their classrooms. Benjamin is also passionate about centering the voices and experiences of trans and non-binary people navigating the school system as students, staff, and caregivers. All right, that's our podcast for today. If you have any burning questions about gender sexuality in school, send an email to info at lgbtqfamilyspeakout.ca with the subject line, Ask Gender Sexuality School. In future podcasts, I'll take listeners' questions about issues of gender and sexuality at school and try to answer them with the help of some amazing folks who have been thinking about gender and sexuality for a while. You can find this podcast at www.lgbtqfamiliespeakout.ca. This episode was produced with the support of the New College Initiative Fund and from Doug Friesen, who is a PhD student at the Ontario Institute for Studies and Education. Thanks to LGBTQ Families Speak Out team member Kate Reed, sound engineer Lisa Patterson, and musician Doug Friesen for creating the music that opens and closes the show. I'm Tara Goldstein. All the best.